missed all that sleep from daylight savings time. Anybody having a hard time getting out of bed in the morning? Ooh, I do too. I told my wife, I said, I went to church last night. Do I have to go this morning? She said, I did. So I'm glad to be with you. We are uh, concluding a series. Actually, next week I'll conclude the series on Unmasked. We've got one more message in this, but it's been a series about who the Bible says this demonic evil uh, person is. He's called Satan. He's called the devil. He's called the God of this world. He's called the prince of the power of the air. Uh, he's the prince of darkness. He's called the serpent. He's called the devourer. He's called the great dragon. But how many know many people don't believe Satan exists? In our America today, we have scoured our understanding in the secular society that there's no such thing as, as God, and certainly there's no such thing as the devil. Uh, we're taught, many today, that all that was just the subject of mythology. That's what simple-minded people believe. And I want to say thank God that I'm a part of the simple-minded, I guess. But I still believe what God's Word says. But you know, there are many people that, uh, that don't follow Jesus that believe Satan's very real. If uh, I read this week uh, from Judicial Watch that uh, there was a group that does after-school Bible, not Bible clubs, but satanic after-school clubs. And they applied to the IRS for a tax exemption and were improved in 10 days. 10 days their approval took. Uh, if you're from Arkansas today, uh, you're the capital of Arkansas. Recently, during the month of January, there was a satanic temple that decided they want to make a request to put a satanic monument on your capital ground. So many people are very much aware of the influence of the evil one. We have been talking very practically about him, not in theoretical terms, not in scary terms, but kind of open your eye terms to see what's out there. We've talked about temptation. We talked about offenses. Last week we talked about how to fight back spiritually uh, when we're under spiritual attack. But today I want to talk to you about what I believe is very subtle but very effective way that Satan tries to influence us, and that's in our thought life. Now, I'm going to use as a text today the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 4.23. And I want you to say this out loud with me this morning. It says, be careful what you think because your thoughts run your life. Let's say it again. Be careful what you think. Because your thoughts run your life. Now, how many know if Satan could influence our thinking, he can control our life? And I'm going to develop this more fully, but this is the basic premise. If Satan can influence the way I think, he'll have access and control in my life. Now, I'm going to suggest this morning that our, our, our minds, our thought life is like a garden. And uh, how many gardeners in the room like to garden, like to flowers, vegetable gardening? Was a way, yeah, yeah. How many, how many just would rather take a beating than work in the yard? Let me see your hand. Yeah, God bless you too. How many wouldn't raise your hand no matter what I said? All right. Well, I love to garden. And if you can imagine, these are onions growing in the garden, and this is lettuce throughout there. But you see that he's pulling up something. It's a weed. And I want to suggest to you, if you want to have a beautiful flower garden, a productive vegetable garden, not only do you have to buy plants and water and fertilize, but you've got to pull out the weeds or they're going to take over. The weeds will destroy the good crop. The weeds will take over the beautiful flowers. And what started out as something that was going to be very pretty turned out to be something very ugly. 
And I'll suggest to you, if you want to trace all your bad decisions, all the things that you've done, uh, the regrets in your life, there was a thought process at work that got you where you are. So we're going to talk about, I've entitled the message, The Battleground of the Mind. And I want to start in Mark chapter 4. It's a parable of Jesus. Uh, how many know a parable is like a story? And Jesus would tell these parables. He would talk about something in their world that everybody could relate to. And then he would apply a spiritual truth. And it was an example, a simile, a metaphor. But I want to make this statement before I begin. And actually, I want to ask you a question. My premise is, is that Satan has the power to influence the thoughts we think. Now, is this just preacher talk? Or do you believe this is true? Do you believe somehow my mind can be influenced by evil? And if I let that weed grow, it'll change the complexion of my life. Well, let me show you some passage that makes this abundantly clear. It's a parable that Jesus told. And he called it the parable of the sower. Now in this parable, he begins by saying a sower, like a gardener or a farmer, went out to sow seeds. And the seeds in this parable represent the Word of God that's sown. And the goal is that the Word of God would grow and produce a crop. But what happens is when the seed falls in soil, and the soil in this, in this parable is the human heart. And he gives us four illustrations or examples of what can happen when God's Word falls on the human heart or in our mind. Uh, here's the first one, verse 4. As he sowed, some seed fell along the pathway... And the birds came and devoured it. Now, when I was a boy, I was raised on a farm in Mississippi. We would plant corn, and that corn was treated with some kind of chemical because if you just planted the corn straight in the field, crows would come, and they'd scratch around and dig it up, and they would eat it. Now, we're going to come back to what this one means. But the next type of seed, or the next seed, fell on rocky ground. didn't have much soil or depth of earth. It was just pretty much like rocks or something growing in your sidewalk. Immediately it sprang up, but it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. It had no roots and it withered away. Now that's the natural. In the spiritual, it's talking about people who hear the word of God, but the word of God doesn't get in their lives deeply. They don't grow. They don't mature. And Jesus went on to explain this. And he said, this is what happens for people who don't have the word deep in their heart. When trouble or tribulation comes, they fall away from God. And notice the fourth one, verse 7, other seed fell among thorns. Now, the thorns grew up, choked it, and it yielded no grain. Now this may be like Bermuda grass. If you don't pull out Bermuda grass, I mean it's just going to crawl over and it's going to grow all over it. And Jesus said this is like distractions. Or it's like things in the world that take your attention and pull you away from God. Uh, verse 8 though, other seed fell in good soil. This is the heart, your heart and mind. Eager and receptive for God, it produces grain growing up, increasing and yielding 30, 60, and 100 fold. So that's what God's looking for, his word to produce a harvest in our life. Now, verse 14 is where we're going to focus. Jesus explained the parable, the sower sowing the word. But remember the first one about the birds? These are the ones that, uh, the ones that were sown along the pathway. The word of God is sown, and when they hear, what's it say? Satan, everybody say it with me, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. Now, how does he do this? Well, Jesus doesn't tell us exactly how it works, 
But it's clear that what's happened, the Word of God that was operating in the mind, how many know when I talk about God's Word operating in us, for example, if, uh, if you're married, I think the defining verse for a husband should be in Ephesians where it says, Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. And all the ladies said? Yeah, Ephesians also says for the, the wife that she's to respect and to honor her husband. Well, how many know that's the basis of what we're taught? I went to a life group Wednesday night, and uh, that, was part, that was the teaching that was there. And it, I thought about it. It sank into my mind as opposed to forgetting about it or having it pulled away. Now, somehow Satan can influence what we think and how we respond to God's Word. Because God's Word has the power to produce change. Whether it was this, for this seed, 30, 60, and 100 fold. God word, God's word can make your life better. can make my life better. Our business can be better. Our relationships. And Satan knows this, so he wants to stop this from happening. And he may do it by causing us somehow to ignore God's word. To dismiss it or forget about it. Because here's the key. If Satan can influence our thought process, he can control us. Let me say it again. If Satan can influence our thought process, he can control us. Now, let me illustrate it this way. Uh, I came to Christ because someone shared their faith with me. There was a hunger in my heart for God. We all come to a spiritual crossroads at different points in our life. And you may be here today and, and your heart's drawn to God. You, you, you may want to reach out to God and just not know how. But imagine you're having a conversation with a person. You tell them how Jesus can change your life if you believe in them and trust in Christ. You, you share John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And you ask this person, would, would you like to pray and, and receive Christ? And they said, well, I, I think I would. But, but I just had this thought. How do I know God is real? If God is real, if God is a good God, then why are all these bad things happening in the world? And all of a sudden, something shifts in the conversation. A person that was hungry for God, they're pulled away by this thought, and then all of a sudden, they back up and you never see them again. Is it just possible that this bird came and took the seed away? Well, I think it is very, very, very possible. Uh, how, about, how about this other this one as an example? Maybe you're in church. Like several weeks ago, we talked about offenses where our relationships are damaged or hurt, and the challenge was to initiate forgiveness. Well, maybe you're, maybe you're in the congregation and the Holy Spirit really speaks to you. Maybe you even come for prayer and there's a broken relationship and, and you feel that, that you're going to go out and, and you really feel God spoke to you in church about going out to, to talking to someone, to talking to a brother-in-law or an employee or a partner uh, and saying, hey, look, what I did was wrong. I want you to forgive me. I want to fix our relationship. And you're committed to do that in church. But when you get out in the car, you have a thought. And this thought says, what am I doing going to them? They're the one that started this mess. They should come and apologize to me. And what happens, it shuts you down and you don't go reach out to them. And then lo and behold, five years later, you're still sitting on opposite ends of the Thanksgiving dinner table. Are you with me today? Still mad because no one has reached out. Is it possible the birds came and stole that thought out of your mind about forgiveness. Well, this is very clear. Jesus is talking about this. Satan can influence our thought process. It could be with doubt, with skepticism, with unbelief, past experiences. All of it works to undermine our faith in God's Word. Because the devil knows very clearly what our text shows us today. Proverbs 4, be careful what you think because your 
thoughts run your life. And in this parable, we learn very clearly that God's word, the truth of God's word, has the ability and capacity to cause us to have a growing and fruitful life, but Satan wants to steal that word away. Now, let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and I'm going to spend a bit of time on this this morning because our minds are a spiritual battleground. I would go as far as to say is most of the spiritual warfare that you and I fight in life is, is fought in our mind. Not only does Satan try to steal good, spiritually focused thoughts, but he wants to plant bad, destructive ones. It could be thoughts of temptation. It could be a false philosophy. How many know if you believe the wrong thing, you'll end up in hell? How many know if you buy into much of the world's uh, belief system today, you'll end up in a ditch? Uh, we're, we're watching in Texas right now. Our Senate has been debating a bill, SB6, a privacy bill on whether a person has the right to choose what restroom to use based on how they feel about themselves or should they use the restroom based on their, on their birth certificate, the bi biology of birth. It, it seems pretty straightforward to most people, but there is a huge uproar in America today about the rights of people that are fluid in their gender. Well, is it just possible that somehow Satan is mixing into our culture and philosophies are, are being developed, laws are being passed around things that are not true, but things that are, that are lies and harmful. Well, uh, Paul tells us how to address this. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 10, Paul is defending his apostolic ministry. And I want you to listen to the language he uses. He uses a military-type language for the problems with thoughts in people's minds. And he's going to call uh, what we're thinking about, if it's an error or wrong, a stronghold. Now listen to what he said. He said, though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. He says this, verse 4, the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they have divine power to do what? Destroy, destroy strongholds. And then he says this, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obey Christ. So his language of warfare, warfare, battle, strongholds, a captive, but then he's talking about arguments, opinions, and thoughts. Now, he's not telling us to go out and like an armed theocracy with a military and command and demand that people obey the Christian message. I mean, no, that's what the Muslims do. That's how they get their point across. You either convert or you die. That's not what we're talking about. But we are talking about the Christian approach to sharing their faith, to proclaiming the gospel, to teaching people, Christian apologetics, a, a, a rational defense of the Christian faith. Now, somehow, Satan's able to influence our thoughts and they become this spiritual fortress. Unless the thought is taken captive and obeys Christ or, or the truth of God's word. Uh, one translation says the thoughts of people are like enemies we capture. We take every one of them prisoner and, and make them obey Christ. And the idea is not that we forcibly do this. But rather the appeal of the gospel, the appeal of truth is more, it makes more sense it's more fulfilling. It is true according to God's standards and people are convinced. How many can say that I was once blind and now I see? I was once in spiritual darkness and now I'm in the light. Uh, the things of God at one time didn't mean much to me, but now they mean everything to me. Well, what's happened? You've had a transformation in your thinking. You, you not only had a spiritual experience in your heart, 
but your mind began to change. You began to think differently about God. Your desires used to be to please yourself, and then they became more about living pleasing to God. Well, when God's Word gets in our heart, it changes the way that we live our lives. So we've got to recognize, number one, that there can be lies that we believe. There can be a false philosophy or worldview, uh, and it's got to be replaced with truth. Now, let me read a scripture that really highlights this fact. Colossians 2, verse 8, it says, Don't let anyone capture you. Now, stop right there. What, what does it mean to be captured? It means to be taken over. It means to be under someone else's control. So he says, don't be captured or controlled with what? Empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense. Empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense. We'll talk a little more about that that comes from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. Now think about this in the context of our modern culture. Our culture has just gone berserk. Our culture no longer knows and cares about right and wrong. Uh, what was once moral is now immoral. What was once immoral is now moral. It's like we're spinning out of control. We're like a compass that doesn't know which way north is any longer. I want to suggest to you that what's happened our thinking, well, often much of what we're even taught in school, what we, what we glean from movies, what songs would teach us. Uh, it says, don't let anyone capture you, put it back on the screen, with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and the spiritual powers of this world. So Satan is behind planting deception in people's minds. Satan is behind, for example, let's say, let's say you have come to believe that violence is a legitimate way to get your point across. And you happen to be, in my opinion, foolish enough to listen to Snoop Dogg. And he has this new video that comes out. And he dresses up someone in a, in a, in a, a, a Trump outfit. And he has a gun that says, bang. And it just seems like it doesn't matter now. Huh? If you disagree with it, you can be vocal and you can stand against it. Our opposition in our public arena, our right to redress our government, has become violent. On college campuses today, they have to have police to come in and, and guard people that have conservative or biblical thought because there's a sense that I can just do this. It's normal and it's right. Well, can I tell you, friends, something is wrong in our thinking. We're not thinking the way uh, a biblical thought or the way we used to think. Now, uh, I'm convinced that much of this empty philosophy is an intellectual argument, is an attempt to ignore the truth and rationalize our defiance. Uh, let me explain it to you this way. Uh, I do a little radio spots uh, throughout the week to our town. been doing it 20-something years, and they're just like a 30 seconds long, little quick biblical truth. And I read this article. It was by an evangelist named Ray Comfort. Uh, he's a, he, 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 somewhat of a Christian apologist. And he said this statement. He said... Uh, atheists believe that nothing created everything. So there is no God, so everything got here by nothing. Well, naively, I just repeated that on the radio, and I got an email from an atheist. And he said, well, that's just not true. He said, we don't believe that nothing created everything. And I, I decided that I was going to respect him. Very intelligent, way smarter than me in terms of secular cosmology. And I said, I'm going to respect him and I want to dialogue with him. Come on, I'm not talking down to somebody. We're talking as equals, as human beings. We're all created in God's sight. So we begin to have conversation. And I've been praying for him ever since, by the way, because he's going to make a great Christian one day. 
when, when he comes to Christ, when he comes to Christ, he's going to influence many people by the power of his intellect. But I asked him, I said, okay, where did this all come from? And he said, there was a dying planet, and when this planet died or exploded, it released carbon gas and hydrogen and oxygen and other elements that form life as we know it today. And in my simple little mind, I said, okay, where did the dying planet come from? And he said, that's a regressive argument. I'm not going to take time to even deal with it. So is it just possible that that's what Paul talked about, an empty philosophy? Because if you are, listen, we are a very educated people. But how many know you can be educated on the wrong foundation? You can build a beautiful home. Imagine the largest, most beautiful home you have ever seen in your life. And the way they built it was not with a concrete slab, but they just started with the carpenters nailing boards together. And all of a sudden, a wind blew and it just topples right over because its foundation was not built properly. So you can have an intellectual superstructure that many people would admire. You can have multiple PhDs, but if it doesn't start with God, come on, if it doesn't start with truth, if it's not built on the right foundation, ultimately the conclusions cannot be accurate. Now listen, science in its discovery process can reveal a lot of things along the way. Listen, they're extremely intelligent in what science is able to uncover. But listen, friends, the sad thing is, is it just because we can uh, explain something, we have somehow in science explained God away. Rather than revealing the majesty of God, science explains Him away in many cases. Now, let's go back to this idea of these empty philosophies and tearing down these strongholds. Uh, these strongholds to the Corinthians were just like us, uh, learning, uh, their eloquence. It, it was their philosophy. Martin Luther described all of this human reasoning uh, as the problem. Human reasoning apart from Christ is where these false philosophies come from in life. Now, let me give you one more illustration of, of a false, unbiblical philosophy that controls tens of millions of people. And it basically says this. There is no God, and if there is no God, there is no creator. And if there's no creator, there are no moral absolutes. And if there's no moral absolutes, then nobody has the right to tell me what to do. I can make up my own rules in life. Come on, you don't have the right to judge me because there's no standard of right and wrong. There's no eternal accountability. So it's okay if I pull a gun and shoot you, if I hurt you, because I'm not going to have to answer to God. Now, would you agree with me that that's a philosophy that's been taught? If I could see this little picture here. It's been taught because of this. Human origins, and of course, this is where we are going today. Uh, kind of a man-machine, artificial intelligence is, is allowing, you know, humans and robots and all this kind of thing, the bionic man. But if you go beyond the monkey, you know, you could take it all the way to the single-cell organism. But if that's your starting place, you're going to be off course. In, in, my, in my bachelor's degree, I got, a, I got a minor in psychology, and one of the people we heralded the most many years ago was Maslow. And Maslow talked about mankind's hierarchy of needs. You remember the pyramid? At the bottom of this was the most basic things. We need food. We need air. Those kind of things. Then we need, when we have that, then we need social relationships. We need purpose. But you remember the top of the pyramid? It was self-actualization. So for Maslow, the epitome or, or the highlight of life was man-centered. 
as opposed to uh, the wisest man of the Old Testament, Solomon. He said, let's hear the conclusion of the whole matter. The whole duty of man is to fear God and obey His commandments because one day you'll give an account. So these are, it's an empty philosophy. Put the little monkey man back up here. So if we start by, if we start telling our kids, come on monkey, come back. Oh, he's on the side. He evolved to the side screens. Well, if you start telling your kids this from the time they can open a book about where you came from, where's your starting place? Mine's Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So true science would build upon that verse rather than building upon the best guess that we can have. You remember Darwin, the Scopes monkey trial and all that. It was the best the world had to offer to explain God away. So secular mind latched hold of this. And I suggest to you it was a philosophy that has deceived millions of people. It's further accentuated by the fact that men like Stephen Hawking He's described by his peers as one of the smartest people in the world. He's an astrophysicist, but he's also an atheist. And he said there is no God. And he's a, he's a cosmologist, which means he specializes in, in the explanation of how the universe was formed in these things. And he says there's no God. So you, you go to a science class in college or your kids and you look at these charts. You go to the Smithsonian. My wife and I went to the Smithsonian Museum of Natural History, several floors, one floor just dedicated to the beginnings of man, all these skulls that were built around small pieces of bone, but not one mention of God in the whole Smithsonian. Now listen, let's go back to Stephen Hawking, the smartest man in the world. Well, who says he's the smartest man in the world? I suggest to you that a man who's never even graduated from high school that bows his knee before the God of all glory and says, God, I recognize myself as a sinner in the sight of God. I need your grace. I need your mercy. I believe that Christ died for my sins. I ask you to wash them away and grant me the gift of eternal life. That man is smarter, come on, than the man that has multiple PhDs but does not believe that God is the creator of heaven and earth. These are type, these type strongholds that must be torn down in our thinking and replaced with truth. The Bible is not just a fairy tale. The Bible speaks into everyday life. Um, Romans tells us how to do this. Romans 12, 2, it says, Don't conform to the pattern of the world, but be what? Say it again. Transformed by what? By the renewing of your mind, and then you'll be able to know what God's will is. So what do you think we renew our minds with? Come on now. We review our mind, renew our minds with the Word of God. We rewrite upon the template of error. We rewrite the script upon the lies with the truth of God's Word, and it changes the way that we are on the inside. How many, how many will say I'm with you this morning, Pastor? Yeah. Let, let's keep going now. I want you to, that same verse, 2 Corinthians 10, 5, our mind is like a garden, and it's got to be weeded. This verse, we read in verse 5, the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they have what? Divine power to do what? Destroy strongholds. Now listen to me on this one. A stronghold is a military term for a fortified place. In this case, he's talking about a fortress in our mind. He's talking about the thought process that, that we have, the structure of our thinking, its foundation, 
It's a metaphor of any strong point or argument that we're trusting in. Now, let me give you some historical background. Uh, to destroy a stronghold literally meant to tear down defenses that are difficult to destroy. Now, in their era, uh, in the era of Rome, when Rome was the leading, the superpower of the world, Rome got most of her food from the region of Palestine. So think about right now where Jerusalem is and the promised land. The Mediterranean's all out here, and here's Jerusalem, and here's the Middle East. Well, if you were to go from Palestine to get to Rome, they would go north and around the Mediterranean Sea and around the coast of Cilicia, there were pirates. Historians tell us it could be as many as 10,000 people that lived as pirates, and they had fortresses in these Sicilian cliffs up to 100 or 120 different fortresses built out of rock. And what they would do is when the Roman ship was coming, they would come out of the fortress, they would scurry on down there, they would take the food, and they would go back and retreat to the fortress, and, and, and they couldn't do anything about it. Now, you would think this Roman superpower, they did great on the roads where the Roman soldier functioned best, but they didn't too do too good about the pirates. So what happened is the Senate commissioned General Pompey to fix this problem. And what he did is rather than attacking the pirate, he attacked the stronghold. And what he did is he, is he developed these catapults and they would shoot these, these uh, grappling hooks, as it were, and they would go up in the stronghold and then they would pull down these rock strongholds that the pirates were hiding in. Hence, Paul used the same language, let us pull down strongholds. And in their day, they brought the pirates in captivity to Rome. But what he's saying for us today, bring your thoughts under the captivity of Christ. So you've got to tear down the strongholds, listen, of lies uh, 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 that are in your mind, of the false things that we believe, whether it's about our culture, evolution, whatever it may be, our senses, our source of self-esteem. We've got to tear down the lies and believe the truth. That's why Bible reading is so important, because that's the way God speaks to us. Listen, that's why you're here today, not because I'm somebody, but because I, I, I am teaching the Word of God, and you get something out of it and come back. It's because it's the Word of God that has power. Now, these strongholds in our mind are built brick by brick, but God's Word has power to uproot these strongholds. Come on, somebody say, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You see, and they're uprooted with truth. Remember in Ephesians 6 last week, the first weapon we put on was the belt of what? The belt of truth. Now, let me, let me, let me talk to you uh, this picture again about weeding a garden. Uh, I want you to imagine a couple, a couple thoughts here. Here again, you've got the onions growing and you've got the lettuce. If you let this weed grow, if you picked it and put it in the salad, it would taste probably gross. It could be bitter. They'd spit it out. It could make you sick. It's dangerous. It could overcome the plants. So think about pulling out a weed and pulling out a thought. For example, let me give you one. Uh, let's, uh, let's imagine that uh, you're, you're, you, you struggle, as many people do, with lust, and you're at your computer, and, and it's a conservative site you're on, and all of a sudden you've got this enticing image well, a seed has been planted in your mind to click the button. And when you click the button, the roots begin to go down deeply. And these roots will take over if you don't deal with it. We use the phrase today, sexual addictions. Well, what is that? It's a thought that grew into a weed and it became so strong that it's controlling everything else. I was raised on a farm in Mississippi and, and we raised cotton when I was a boy. And I can remember we would cultivate the cotton and my dad let me 
called mine, a, a little small two-acre field, and I would go and I would plow the cotton. We would spray underneath it to kill the weeds, but invariably the tractor would wobble and, and it would leave some weeds, and one in particular was called a cockleburr. Anybody ever heard of a cockleburr? Okay. Well, this weed would just grow huge. Its roots would become so strong, but yet when it was little, you could pull it up with two fingers. And I can remember my dad would tell me, you're going to pull off those weeds this summer, son. You can do it now or you can do it later. Well, guess what every teenager wants to do? Pull up weeds, right? <laughs> no. But my dad loved me enough to make me stick with it. And I can remember going out there. When they would get big, it would take some pull to pull them up. And the problem is you would pull up several cotton stalks that were around it because it had grown so deeply into the fabric of the soil. And if they got too big, I couldn't even pull it up as a 16-year-old kid. I could break it off, though, at the root and try to break off the stem, but it would still grow back. That's the power of a thought. You've got to take it captive. Now, have you ever wondered why, why someone commits suicide? I want to suggest to you that it starts with a thought. In your mind, this thought's planning. Maybe you failed, you went bankrupt, and, and you had thoughts or feelings like, like, I'm stupid. I'll never make anything out of my life. Maybe you have feelings like nobody loves me, nobody likes me. When you think about the future, you have no hope. Everything is dark. And then one day you have happened to you what happened to a good friend of mine a number of years ago, a very intelligent man, highly educated, white collar. He was driving down the road one day and he became so oppressed and obsessed by these thoughts. He saw a huge brick column upholding a bridge on the interstate and he thought I should just drive my car in the interstate and end it all. It would be better for me and it would be better for my family. What happened? He didn't pull out the weed when it was little. I'll tell you something very, in my own life, very personal. When I was at the darkest place in my struggle with anxiety several years ago, um, I, 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 we it was so bad that I, I took several weeks, uh, and it was not worry. And if you've never experienced it, I pray you never do, but it's one of those things you've got to kind of live there. But it was not a worry kind of thing, but it was something, some chemical, adrenaline, something going on in my body. But it was so bad to the degree that we took three months off church and we went to South Texas, my wife and I, and people are texting me and calling me, well, you having fun on your vacation? And I'm thinking, as soon as I get out of bed in the morning, I'm tormented by this foreboding feeling until I go to bed at night, and you're asking me if I'm having fun. I can't even go to a restaurant, true story, I can't even go to a restaurant, sometimes we have to leave because these panic attacks become so overwhelming. And then I've got, I'm thinking about, I'm going to go back to work one day. I, I'm going to have to, or, or get to, do my son's wedding. And I had this feeling that said, I'll never be able to do his wedding. I can't get, even get back in the pulpit. I start thinking about coming back and, and preaching. And the, and the whole thought of it is so overwhelming that I just feel like I cannot do it. You say, well, what do you do? Thank God for doctors. Medical care is good, but it didn't do everything. Thank God for a good Christian counselor. They'll help you get focused on God. Can I tell you what helped kept me and keeps me today in the midst of my struggles? When I was at my lowest point and felt like I, can, I will not be able to do my wedding, every, my son's wedding, everything within me said I can't, and I had a thought rise within me. It was Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's two diametrically opposed thoughts. One based on a feeling 
that had some connection with reality but was rooted in a lie. Fear begins to take over. It becomes spiritual. And the other says, I can do it through Christ. And then when I felt that I'm too weak to do it, I don't have the capability. Philippians 1.6, he who began the good work in me, he's going to bring it to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. So it's not just me pulling up my bootstraps and making myself stronger and better. It is the power of God to pull down strongholds. Come on. It is the power of the living Christ. It is the word of God working in us when, tr- when, when, when the lie becomes so real. How many believe the truth is greater than the lie? Because the greater one is still in us. Come on, give the Lord a, a good hand today. I want to close with this thought. Philippians 4 verse 8. And I'm going to make this statement, friends. We can choose what we think about. I want you to say this with me. I can choose what I think about. In your darkest day, this still pops up and fights me every once in a while. And the future just instantly goes to dark, so to speak. I get out of the bed and I can say, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice. Or I can say, I'm going to stay home and be depressed today. I don't undermine the power of feeling depressed and oppressed and all those things, but I'm simply saying there's some power that you can choose what you're going to think about. Philippians 4 verse 8, we'll close with this scripture. It says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. In other words, this is very important. Say this with me. Fix your thoughts on what is true. Fix your thoughts on what is true. It is the word of God. Think about things that are excellent, I'm sorry, honorable, right, pure, lovely, admirable. And he says it again, think about things. This is a command, it's an imperative, it's a choice. Think about things that are worthy of praise. The ESV says, whatever is true, say it with me, think about these things. The Message Bible says you'll do your best by filling your minds and meditating on things that are true. You see... The truth is God's word, and to fix your thoughts on what is true means to let the truth of God's word influence my thinking and not by the lies of Satan. Because, friends, as I, we began this morning in Philippians with our text, Philippians 4.23 says, Be careful what you think because your thoughts run your life. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. He's worthy of praise. Stand to your feet with me this morning we got one more in this series next week. I, I hope you've been enjoying it. Well, uh, next week we're going to talk about how we can help other people that are under the influence of the evil one. But I want you to take just a second. I don't know where you're going to lunch, but I'm sure visions of chicken and hamburgers have already filled your head. <laughs> but could you put them off just a second, put them back in the oven just a minute, put some tin foil over them, and just say, okay, now what? You know, when I used to go to college and, and, and I'd go through a class and as soon as it was over, I couldn't wait to get out of there and just to go do something else. And it was almost like if we weren't having a test or if it wasn't that important to my career, I'd forget it. But I, don't, I want to encourage you, don't do that today. Think about the parable of the sower where we began. When the first thing that Satan tried to do with the word of God was send birds to do what? Steal it, Steal it out of your mind. So could we today just... Resolve in our hearts. And Lord, I know today I'm very conscious of the fact that my mind is like a garden. I'm going to be careful what I let grow in it. I'm going to do my best to resist thoughts of temptation. I'm going to do my best to have my mind 
renewed with truth, the Word of God. I'm going to read. I'm going to be taught the Word of God. I'm going to get some Christian music in my life so I can let good thoughts begin to grow so I'll know what the weed is and what the lettuce is. Come on now, because I don't want to eat weeds in my salad. I don't know about you, but I, <laughs> I want romaine lettuce. I want butter crunch lettuce. I want the good stuff. I don't want the weeds. Come on, bow your heads a minute and just say, okay, Lord, what, what, what are you saying to me now? Just ask him just a moment. Say, Lord, are, are there some weeds in my life? that I need to let go of? Would the Holy Spirit, just beginning right now and in the days ahead, would you show me lies in my mind? I don't ever want to get to the point like pastor's friend that was had everything in the world going for him but just felt like he was a failure and was ready to drive his car into a post. It was a lie. Holy Spirit, we ask you today to help us and then we ask you to bring the Word of God to our memory. Just like you would do to me, God, walking down those long country roads, begging for God to help, and quoting Philippians, I can do this through Christ. Help us fight our battles with the Word of God. In Jesus' name. Hey, let's close like this today. Uh, we want to give an opportunity. To, uh, we'll sing one last song, but maybe you'd like somebody to pray for you. Maybe as I've been kind of scratching around in your mind this, this morning, maybe there's been some thoughts or whatever the case is, but, but you just need somebody to pray with you before you go. I can't think of a better time than now. Maybe there's something in your world or somebody that you care very much about. Maybe they're deceived. Maybe they're hurting. Maybe they've been snared. And you want to pray for them. We'll pray about anything you have need of before you go today. But the most important thing we'd like to pray about is your relationship with God. See, maybe you're here today and, and, and maybe... The one cry of your heart is, Pastor, I just need to get right with God. I, 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 just, I, I just need to know God. I, I don't know a lot, Pastor, but I know that the way I've been living my life is not working. I, I've not found happiness. I've not have found purpose. But I sense something in this place today. I know God's real. I want to put my trust in Christ. Listen, if that's you today, friend, I want to encourage you to make the biggest step of your life to come and let somebody pray for you. If you're not joining our church, we don't want anything from you. But if you have the courage to make a step from the old life and step towards Jesus, we'd be honored to pray with you. I promise you it'll be the best decision you've ever made. So whatever your prayer is, we're going to begin to sing now this last song one time. Our prayer team is coming to the front right now. Men and women are going to be here for you. So as they come, let me encourage you. If you need prayer, just slip out of your chair. Let us pray for you. Most importantly, if you need to make a step to Christ, don't let anything stop you because the devil will try to steal it away with you. I love you. Thanks for being here today. And all things have passed away. Your love has stayed the same. Your constant grace remains the cornerstone. The things that we Hey! Okay.
around front or pray with you about anything you got going on this morning. But if not, hey, you're free to be dismissed. God bless you. We look forward to seeing you again next week. In Jesus' name.